Today on Blue 58, is there any hope for things getting better on special teams? The Packers made a move today that may give them an extra body there, but that's about it. If there are any other changes to be made, they'll have to come from within. So what options do the Packers have? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we dive into the stuff today, I want to talk about a couple things Maybe of interest to you, first a reminder on our fundraising campaign for our two charity causes this year, the Adrian Amos I'm Still Here Foundation and the Shamar Jean Charles team for the Walk to End Alzheimer's. You can find information on how to donate at thepowersweep.com or in your show notes here. As of this recording, we have raised $320. Great work, everybody. Keep it coming. And if you donate by December 31st, you have a chance to win a prize from the Power Sweep. $100 or a jersey of your choice to the from the Packers Pro Shop is the, the big prize. Uh, beyond that, we have two $50 uh, certificates to the Packers Pro Shop and four $25 gift certificates to the Packers Pro Shop. So if that is of interest to you at all, check it out. The other thing I wanted to mention is that I got a great piece of mail this week. We talked with uh, Cliff Crystal of Packers.com last week the official Packers historian, about his uh, his book, The Greatest Story in Sports, the four-volume, 1,000-page history of the Green Bay Packers, and it finally arrived at my house. And it's everything that I hoped it could be. If you are interested in Packers history, it's worth the $90 price tag. It is. First of all, it's just a gorgeous four-volume set. comes with a nice box. Every volume looks great. Secondly, the photography alone, again, would be worth the price. It's actually really rare to find great historical pictures of the Packers with the proper explanations of what they are. We talked about that a little bit with Cliff. A big part of his job, fact-checking stuff, is proving who is and who isn't in pictures and where they were taken and when they could have been taken, stuff like that. You don't have to worry about that with this book. All the photography is credibly sourced, properly cited, and so on. And finally, the writing is just good. It's super detailed, which is exactly what you'd want from a history of the Green Bay Packers. The details are important, and Cliff gets to a lot of them. Not even a paid plug. Just, I think it's that good. You should check it out. Packers are making moves. Uh, Today, they signed wide receiver Josh Moore, 6'3", 205 pounds in his fifth year out of Tennessee. Pretty decent athlete, not elite, but close. 703 relative athletic score, but in a straight line, he's pretty darn good. 4-4 flat in the 40-yard dash. Mr. Malone was originally a fourth-round pick by the Cincinnati Bengals back in 2017. He played 2017 and 2018 in Cincinnati, appearing in 20 games and recording 11 catches for 91 yards and a touchdown. He played 2019 and 2020 with the Jets, appeared in six games, made four catches for 16 yards, but most importantly, appeared pretty regularly on the Bengals' special teams. In 27 snaps on kick return last year, some as a returner, but not all. He did have seven kick returns for 140 yards, but also spent some time doing other things on the return unit. The Packers need some bodies for blocking on kick return. It's bad enough to lose Equinemius St. Brown and Malik Taylor for things like punt coverage, in Taylor's case, kickoff return, although how big a loss is that really, given some of the adventures he's had there. They need blocking on kick return. Uh, Amari Rogers was out there uh, doing some stuff on 
kick return and kick coverage. Not great to have him out there. I, I don't think that's really his his deal covering kickoffs. Malone, though, has a body type that's a lot more suitable for that. Bigger bodied receiver, fast in a straight line. That's the sort of skill set that you're looking for. But as we know, that's far from the only deal going on with special teams. We talked about this during the bye week a little bit, and I feel like we've got to come back to it again because this is just going to continue to be a problem. And the Packers have made one thing abundantly clear. Solutions are coming from within, if anywhere at all. The first and biggest question again is, do they fire Maurice Drayton? And the answer right now is no. They're not going to fire him. It's just not a thing that's going to happen, because here's the thing. Firing him isn't really going to change all that much. You do not really have a chance to change schemes mid-season, especially not heading into week 15. If the schemes are a problem, and I'm hesitant to really say that they are, although earlier in the year, there were some big problems on field goal and point after blocking that seemed to be tied to scheme. So who really knows? But if it was as simple as a scheme fix, they'd have done it by now. This is an organization and execution problem. And I should note, there's a part of me that's kind of sympathetic to Maurice Drayton. The Packers have had injuries all over the place. And if injuries are robbing your depth, where does that depth get drawn from first? You're moving guys off of special teams into bigger roles elsewhere, right? Well, if those guys on special teams are backups already, who does that mean is filling in on your special teams units? It stands to reason that those units are not going to be all that great right? So I at least get the problem, but that's the job. Every team in the NFL deals with that. Everybody's got injuries. The Packers are, you know, missing some high-end talent that other teams can't match. But in terms of the number of injuries, I'd be willing to bet the Packers aren't that different from any other team in the league. Other teams aren't having these kinds of problems. And we know that because as of this week, the Packers are dead last in just about every significant metric that Football Outsiders uses to track special teams. I'm not even going to list them off. It's just bad across the board. They've even taken a significant dive in uh, in punt coverage, which is the one thing that they were good at that we talked about during the bye week. So while long-term firing Murray Strayton might be a fix, short-term, what's it really going to solve? You're just going to bring in, not even bring in, you're going to promote one of the uh, special teams quality control guys. They'll take over. And... Uh, It'll go from there. How big a difference is that really going to make from the organization and execution standpoint? I suppose you could argue it's worth a try. I'm skeptical as to the amount of impact it's going to have. So that's probably not going to be a change. As we outlined before, and I won't talk about it again here, they're probably not going to make a change at kicker either. And Crosby was good this past week, so that's really not the concern. The problem the Packers are having then is that on kickoff return and punt return, well, is the coverage, but Coverage is an entirely different issue. The big issue that you can really make a fix at personnel-wise is kickoff return and punt return. Who else could return kicks and punts? What options do the Packers really have? To try to find an answer to that question, I looked at every Packers wide receiver, running back and defensive back on the active roster and on the practice squad to see who has real 
measurable, worthwhile experience returning kickoffs and punts. That's 26 players we took a look at. Of those 26 players, 16 have at least one kick or punt return in college or the NFL. But guys who have barely done it at all don't help us. So let's just talk about the guys who have double-digit combined kick and punt returns in college and the NFL. That should give us a manageable list, right? Okay, so of the 26 guys in our original category, constricting it or restricting it to double-digit combined kick and punt returns in college and the NFL brings us down to seven players. Two of them we can throw out right away. If we're looking to make a change, we can throw out Amari Rodgers and Malik Taylor. We've been there, done that. We don't need to talk about what they could potentially bring as returner on kickoff or punt return. That leaves us with five then. Our list of five is Randall Cobb, Jair Alexander, Alan Lazard, more on that in a second, Chandon Sullivan, and Adrian Amos. You could probably throw Adrian Amos out. He has 12 kickoff returns in college, and of the two spots, that is the least important. It's probably a strategy worth exploring for the Packers at this point to just never return a kickoff. There's very little upside for them trying to do it. And they haven't really shown that they have anybody who can do it as a, at a capable level anyway. So of those remaining four, you can throw out Randall Cobb and Jair Alexander. Cobb is hurt already. And when he comes back, if he comes back, I don't think we want to waste his post-injury snap count on punt returns though he may be better than Amari Rodgers. Although, the one time he did get to return a punt this year, Randall Cobb went ahead and muffed that one too. So, guess we're just going to have to do without Randall Cobb, who is by far the most punt, accomplished punt and kick returner on the Packers roster. He has 277 combined kick and punt returns throughout his college and NFL careers. Uh, 94 NFL punt returns, 76 kick returns in college, 63 punt returns and 44 kick returns. Experienced. Very experienced. Jair Alexander, uh, in a non-injury year, honestly might think about it. He's got some real experience returning punts. He did it a little bit in the NFL. Might as well see what happens. Obviously, it would have to be pretty dire straits for for the Packers to turn to an all-pro cornerback to fix their punt return situation. Have you seen the punt return situation? The straits, they are dire. So that leaves us with Alan Lazard and Chandon Sullivan. Alan Lazard sounds absolutely crazy, but believe it or not, he was a pretty good punt returner in college. In 2015, he had four returns of 20 or more yards in a single game. It was week one of Iowa State season that year. It was against Northern Iowa, but still. He talked about it at length with the local local paper. He said the punter didn't have much hang time, so I was able to get ball get the ball quick and we could set up blocks. My punt return team did a great job of making some blocks, and I was able to make some moves and have some big return. Uh, had a return of 27 yards, another of 26, another of 24, and then another of 34 yards. Uh, on that final return, he, he returns at 34 yards, then three plays later scores a 13-yard touchdown pass. I think it's worth exploring. If nothing else, it seems like he can go back and, and catch the ball. He's done it before. And it kind of would just be interesting to see the Packers go from five foot nine inch, five foot ten inch Amari Rodgers to the towering six foot five uh, Alan Lazard. But if he can go back there and catch the punt, and at least just run straight up the field, my gosh, you don't even have to be that fast. Micah Hyde would be the first to tell you he's not the fastest guy in the world, but 
he was a darn effective punt returner for the Packers too. So punt return, the Packers have at least one internal option. Sounds crazy, but maybe they should give it a shot. And kick returner, uh, Chandon Sullivan might be a real option here. He had eight college kick returns. He had three, he's had three in the NFL, did it with the Packers a couple years back. I mean, at this point, might as well. You know he can go back and catch the ball, and he's done it before, so he's at least got some decision-making ability there. The issue here that you see as the Packers have sorted things out here on the punt return and kick return units is this. They really only had one option to begin with. It was really only ever Amari Rodgers because they've got no other guys who ended up making the roster who have any meaningful experience returning punts. Al Lazard, sure, yeah, whatever, but his grand total in college was 21 returns. That's really not a serious NFL return option. For whatever reason in their roster construction, the Packers have not put a lot of eggs in the punt return basket. It's a small thing, but surely there's got to be some guy out there who can figure it out. And I realize we're talking about a a situation where, where this has not been unaffected by injury either. Kylan Hill was supposed to be the Packers kickoff returner. And at this point, you'd have to wonder if he would have been getting punt return looks. But the Packers have not really moved at all to bring in any other experienced punt returner. And at this point, it's costing them. If the Packers are hoping to fix this from within, those are your options. You can put a hobbled Randall Cobb out there when he comes back. You can risk Jair Alexander, who's missed most of the season. You can go with Amari Rodgers, who has not shown that he can do it at all. And you can go with Alan Lazard. That's about it. Other than that, the Packers have one guy who has recorded, well, two guys who have recorded an NFL punt return. Malik Taylor's got one, and Kevin King has the other. Tell me which of those two guys you want to put back there instead of Amari Rodgers. I mean, how desperate would you have to be to say, I would like Kevin King to go out there and return punts in a playoff game, please? That's what I would like to see. No. You're not going to do that. It's a short list of internal options. The Packers pretty much got to look outside if they want to go in any direction at all. We've talked about Tyler Irvin, sure. You might even think about Tavon Austin again. What's he up to these days? Maybe he's on a team. I haven't even looked. I'm assuming he's not, but somebody go back there and stand and catch the ball and at least pretend to run up the field a little bit, not horizontally like, like Rodgers does. Anyway, those are your internal options. It's not a great list, but that's what we've got. Wanted to take a second, as we do from time to time on this show, to uh, mention the sponsor of this episode. Today's sponsor, once again, as always, is you. Blue 58 is entirely listener-supported. We don't accept ads, and we have no plans to do so. And I wanted to talk just briefly about my philosophy as to that. Have you ever heard the saying, I don't know if it's a saying, have you ever heard the, the idea that If something is costing you nothing, you are the product. It's really true on social media uh, a lot these days. You use Facebook for free. That's because they're selling your data and your information to people who would like to put their products in front of your eyes. That's basically how advertising works. You trade your time for free to be exposed to ads. 
I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell your attention to other people. I'd rather have it for myself. And I don't want to mess up your experience with ads. So if we're going to do it that way, and we want to grow the show and, and keep it going at the level that it's at, we still do need some support. But that's where you come in. If you want to support the show, and again, it's totally optional. If you want to support the show, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep to contribute any monthly amount. And in return, when's the last time you got this from an ad? In return, you get something here. You get no ads on the Power Sweep except for an occasional Patreon read. But you also get bonus content through Patreon and access to our Discord server, which is a real cool place to hang out and chat with Packer fans from all over the world. So visit patreon.com slash thepowersweep or check out the link in your show notes to get started. Today we're shouting out Patreon supporters Ryan Howell, DJ Scatino, and Ryan Griffin. Thanks to each of you for your support. I appreciate it a lot. Discord, of course, is a great place to ask questions if they are on your mind. And today we're going to close out the show with a question from our friend Queso, a regular contributor in the PowerSweep Discord server. Queso asks, is there something that makes a player viable as a tackle but not as a guard? I know the Packers have a history of converting tackles to guards, which makes it seem like tackles are just bigger, more athletic guys. Given Royce Newman's occasional struggles, it makes me wonder why we haven't seen Dennis Kelly or Yash Nyman moved inside when we still had Jenkins. Good question. Why have the Packers not explored more options at guard? Is there a reason that a guy guy could be well-suited to guard uh, that would not necessarily be applicable at tackle? Um, I think if you're looking broadly at tackle skills and guard skills, they are slightly different skill sets. For tackles, you're playing in space a lot, a lot more one-on-one blocking, and you're blocking in such a way that guys have multiple paths to the quarterback it's it's a lot more playing in space. Uh, you are also going to have to anchor very strongly against the power rush. And I think if you're looking at a guy who combines these attributes really well, uh, you're going to look at, uh, almost prototypically, Brian Bulaga. A little bit bigger than David Bakhtiari. Long guy, powerful. He, long in his overall dimensions, criticized a little bit for having short arms, but what offensive lineman isn't criticized for having short arms at one point or another? But Bulaga long and powerful and heavily built, but not like over-encumbered. That's basically the, what, the body type that you're looking at at tackle. At guard, meanwhile, you're looking at guys with great leverage uh, because you're not having to extend side to side in space quite as much, though you're, you are looking for some great short area quickness, quickness. I think a good example of this is is a guy like Josh Sitton, uh, almost a thicker, slightly shorter version of Brian Bulaga, though Sitton was plenty tall too. Um, but to the question here, uh, to Dennis Kelly and Yash Nyman specifically, both of them for long stretches of the season have basically just been sitting around w- looking for something to do. They've contribute on, contributed on um, on special teams, on on field goal units and stuff like that, but not so much on the offense. So they've needed offensive linemen. Where have they been? Honestly, both of them are probably a bit too tall for guard. Uh, Nyman is six foot seven, according to Pro Football Reference, and uh, Dennis Kelly is six foot nine. Those heights would both be pretty dramatic outliers in the NFL. According to Pro Football Reference, there's only one player listed as a guard in the NFL at Nyman's height or taller. It's Yasir Durant of the Patriots. And according to Pro Football Focus, he has only taken snaps at tackle this year. 
So you're looking for a guy who's big, but not necessarily too too tall, because the leverage is so much different at guard than it is at tackle. You're not looking so much for length. You're not looking to make a guy run around you. You want to make a guy basically run through you. So if you get to be too tall, it gets harder and harder for you to get down and get underneath a guy and uh, and move him with, with the leverage you're trying to generate. That, I think, is why you haven't seen guys like, like Nyman or Kelly move inside to guard. Now, to Queso's point, the Packers do have a history of converting tackles to guards, but they're almost always uh, shorter tackles. One of the things that a lot of people thought was um, in David Bakhtiari's future heading into the NFL was a switch to guard uh, because uh, he is on the, the shorter end, actually, for a, an offensive tackle. Six foot four, six foot five, maybe. Um, that, as strange as it seems, is not all that big for an NFL tackle. Now, he's so technically good that he, he makes it work on the outside, and he's, he's a lead athlete too, so that, that helps a lot too. Uh, but he doesn't have prototypical size. Uh, it, there are a lot of people who thought he'd be better suited playing inside. Uh, another example of a guy like that is, uh, is Marshall Newhouse. And I know he's not the most popular figure in Green Bay, but uh, playing in Green Bay in the early 2010s, like 2012, he, he spent a lot of time on the outside in, in Green Bay. He's probably a little bit miscast because he's, he was even shorter, I believe, than David Bakhtiari. But he ended up extending his NFL career by shifting inside to guard where he could really use his athleticism and didn't have to worry about necessarily being so much shorter than guys. So tackles, yes, in general, are just bigger, more athletic guys. You find your stubbier guys who are still great blockers and put them inside. And you can get away with not being quite so long on the edge in college, but it's much harder in the NFL where everybody is an elite athlete coming off the edge. So that's why, really, I think the Packers haven't tried even to to make it happen with, with Kelly or Nyman moving them inside. They have trended a little bit towards taller interior linemen the last couple of years, but even then, I think Kelly and Nyman are just a little bit too big to make it work there. So I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate all of your support, your feedback, your um, your ears uh, over the years, and this year specifically. It's been a great year for for downloads, for interactions with uh, with readers and listeners. I've really enjoyed it a lot, and I'm I'm grateful for everybody who takes the time to listen. So if uh, you enjoyed this episode, thank you so much, and. I wish you would uh, go ahead and share it with somebody you think would enjoy it too. That's the biggest way we grow the show. It's going to get more people involved in the conversation you and I and everybody else are having around the Packers. And ultimately, it helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.